So what is it like to simply lose yourself in the moment? In the video clip we're about to see, lasting a mere 45 seconds, two skilled experts in losing themselves in the moment will clearly demonstrate what true aptitude looks like. So I want you to hold that thought for just a moment while I add a little bit of context. If you have been in worship recently, you know that throughout the fall, through an extended stewardship season, we've been working our way backwards through what we're calling our three strategic connecting initiatives. These are three ways in which your elders have heard Jesus inviting us to connect to a life-giving relationship with him. And as we've worked through these three initiatives, here in worship, to think about each initiative, we have connected it to a psalm, to one of the poems that is part of the Old Testament collection of worship songs and prayers. And so, for instance, throughout September... We focused in on initiative number three, which is Jesus' invitation for us to be on mission in some new ways in the lives of teenagers in our community. And throughout September, each week in some way, we looked at Psalm 78, which is, we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. And then... After a brief pause for Mission Sunday, to celebrate Mission Sunday on October 13, last week, Kurt preached on the second connecting initiative, and that is the invitation to go deeper in the connectional relationships that we have with each other as the people of God, as members of this congregation. And so we talked about our deacons, and we talked about the fellowship feasts that are beginning tonight, and Kurt preached on Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live in unity. And that brings us to this morning and to the first connecting initiative. And this is Jesus' invitation to us to think in some new and some fresh ways about what happens on Sunday morning and especially what happens in worship. And this is an initiative that has spurred a great deal of thought and prayer and conversation among the session, among the elders on session through the year, through the last year, 2019. And it's a commitment that we've made to keep talking about and keep thinking about through 2020. 
And the psalm that this morning is going to help us think about worship is likely a familiar one. It's Psalm 100. It's just five verses long. In fact, it's so short that we're going to say it together in unison right now. It'll be up on the screen. Will you join me? Here we go. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. To all generations. I think it is this final phrase of Psalm 100, which makes me visualize the children who are just up here, the children who are in our midst as a congregation. It's that phrase that got me thinking about this psalm and about worship in a new way. What does it mean to worship well? To worship in the way that God intends. As I thought about this question, a familiar phrase that Jesus said popped into my head. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And it occurred to me, surely those words must apply to worship as well, if worship is the center of our life of faith. And so what would it mean to experience and to pursue and to approach worship as a child? What might these kids on this playground have to teach us about worship? And here's the aha moment that God gave me as I reread this wonderful Psalm 100, this psalm about worship. I realized that at its heart, this is a psalm about play. Or to say this a different way, according to this psalm, worship is most itself when it is most like play. Now, I can already sense some mental objections in this room. Pastor, how could worship be anything like play? Worship is serious, isn't it? Play is silly. Play is frivolous. Play is a waste of time. Play is something kids do. Play is is something kids do. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom as a little child will never enter it. Could it be that worship is meant to be, at the same time, one of the most serious things that we do and one of the most playful? How would it change our approach to worship if we thought of it as serious play? To help us try this idea on for size, I want to do two things right now. First, I want to invite you to watch a quick series of six images on the screen. This is six photos of children playing. And I want you to just experience these images as they flash by. And as you do, ask yourself, what really happens when children play?
Okay, I think we're starting to get the idea, but I have a hunch that we need to make it a bit more concrete. We need to make it a bit more immediate if we're really going to understand. I know. Let's spend a moment right here in worship playing. Now, I thought about handing out a whole lot of rubber bands to see (laughs) if you all would just spend 30 seconds giggling. But then I decided I needed to make it a little simpler than that. I needed to make it a little quicker. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody, preferably not your spouse, and for 30 seconds, I want you to play rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) Go for it. Okay. Wow, I'm having trouble getting control back in this room. This is awesome. I, I didn't really expect the, the joy that's in this room. This is, good. this is memorable. All right, so now that we have seen the images of the kids playing, now that we've taken a moment to play ourselves, I think you might be ready to consider a definition of play that I stumbled on a while back and to see if it doesn't match what we all just saw and what we all just experienced together. Here it is. Play is abandoning yourself to the joy of another. Abandoning yourself to the joy of another. And what I want to suggest this morning is that that is also a perfect definition of what Psalm 100 is inviting us to do on a Sunday morning. To cut loose, to abandon yourself, to let go, to play. Let's break this down a bit. What happens in those experiences, whether as an adult or a child, that we call play? I would say that three things happen. In play, you lose yourself... You find your true self, and you give yourself. So let's work our way through this psalm, Psalm 100, and see if this description of play doesn't also describe what worship is supposed to be. First, when you play, you lose yourself. Think about your typical day. Most of the time, it is all about you. Our lives force us to focus our energy and our attention managing various aspects of the world around us in order to accomplish goals. And so we calculate and we plan and we manipulate and we worry and we count costs and we count minutes and we focus on looking good and on looking competent to the thousands of people we assume are watching us. Well, play is just the opposite. When you play, you lose yourself. You step out of yourself and into a different zone altogether. Think of the times that you play. Might be on the beach. It might be on the ski slope or the golf course. It might be going out to eat or reading a novel. You literally forget yourself. You forget your cares. And time itself just seems to fade away. Well, I think the same thing is meant to happen here in worship. 
We're meant to lose ourselves in the experience. We're meant to step out of the ruts and the habits that we find ourselves in by the end of the week and to step into the worship zone. Specifically, in worship, we are invited to lose two aspects of ourselves. To lose our self-centeredness and to lose our self-consciousness. First, we gather here at the beginning of each week to lose our self-centeredness because most of the week we're in charge and it's all about us. Every minute is about furthering some goal, accomplishing some task. But the play of worship is meant to be different. Years ago, I, I ran across a quote. It's by a Catholic theologian, Romano Gardini, and he was the liturgical advisor to Vatican II back in the 60s. Well, Gardini says that worship is wasting time with God. Wasting time with God. When we walk in here, we're supposed to leave our to-do lists at the door. This is playtime. It's not about us. It's not about accomplishing or benefiting. It is just about being. And boy, for some of, that, some of us, is that ever hard. Not only are we supposed to lose our self-centeredness, when we worship, we're also meant to lose our self-consciousness, our need to look respectable and competent and detached. Instead, just like when we play in worship, we are supposed to cut loose a bit. Look at the first two verses of Psalm 100. Most modern English translations, including the NRSV that I happened to use this morning, choose words that are just a bit on the tame side. For example, our English translation reads, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Well, that's not wrong exactly, but it sounds kind of churchy. It sounds kind of respectable. The Hebrew verb here is hari, and it means something more like raise a crazy shout, just like that video clip from Coco that Nathan showed a while ago. It's a word that in Hebrew, yes, sometimes describes singing, but it's also used to describe a war cry. It's something that a soldier would scream as he's charging at the enemy. And then when our translation says, worship the Lord with gladness, well, the word is really closer to mirth or delight or maybe better yet, partying. This is the word that in Hebrew is used to describe those huge national festivals that Israel would put on each year. And finally, our translation says, come into his presence with singing. Well, yeah, but that's a little bit tame. The word ranan means something more like come into his presence with an ecstatic shout, maybe even a shriek or a ringing cry. My point is that these are not hold back sorts of words. Whatever sort of worship we do, whether it is Bach chorales or Gregorian chants or Quaker silence or classic hymns or contemporary praise music, when we worship, we are supposed to give ourselves entirely to the experience. We're supposed to lose our self-consciousness, our concern for what others think, and jump into the worship zone. But not simply for the sake of a buzz. 
This is play, but it is serious play. There is a purpose here. When Debbie and I lived in Albuquerque, our home had a small backyard. It consisted of this long, narrow rectangle of grass, and then behind it, all the way along behind it, was this uh, four-foot terrace wall. And I remember how now and then, if, if we were discreet and quiet about it, Debbie or I would catch our son Andrew, who's about 10 or 11 at the time, playing earnestly and seriously all by himself in that rectangle of grass. It was clear that in Andrew's imagination, that rectangle and that terrace that was up above it had become a stadium. It was a football field with bleachers towering above it, filled with a roaring crowd of fans. Debbie and I called it Andrew's Fantasy Stadium. And there he would be, all by himself, supplying the crowd noises, supplying the announcers on the loudspeaker, and he would pass the football, and then he'd run up and he'd catch it himself, and he'd always, always make the touchdown, and then he would choreograph the most impressive end zone dances that you've ever seen, until he would catch one of us watching him, and then it was all over. But... Isn't that what play is for all of us? Isn't play always aspirational? Isn't it in play that we imagine ourselves into the lives that we wish we lived? Now, come on, you do it too. On the golf course, you've got the little PGA announcer's voice going on very quietly in your head, breathlessly describing your incredible game. Or in the shower, you're rehearsing how you're going to finally stand up to your boss at work that day, right? Or on the interstate, you imagine your little Honda as a NASCAR stock car. (laughs) There is a bit of Walter Mitty in every one of us. And in play, we imagine and we work out our ideal circumstances, how we would like our life to be. Well, the same thing happens in worship. Except, what we imagine happens to be true. Here, we step out of lives that in so many ways have not lived up to their creative purpose, and we play at least for an hour at imagining what it would be like if they did. And verse 3 of Psalm 100 gives us this beautiful picture of what we aspire to in worship how we are supposed to live, a picture of our true self intended from the beginning. The serious play of worship means that for at least an hour a week, we imagine and we rehearse what it would be like if all of our life fit this description, if we lived every hour aware that we are the beloved creature of an amazing God, that In Christ, this primal relationship has been restored and we have been brought into the covenant life of God's people. It is a beautiful picture. But unlike most of our Walter Mitty fantasies, in the play of worship, we imagine something that is in fact true. He is God. We are God's people. It's just that most of the time we don't live lives that reflect that fact. 
But here in worship, we try on our true selves, almost like an outfit, in the hope that week by week, it will become more and more who we really are instinctively all week. But worship is not just theoretical. It doesn't just present this ideal relationship that we'll have with God someday. Worship is... In fact, in real time, the experience of a direct relationship with God. In worship, we don't just find our true self. We actually give that self to another, a real person there on the other end. Worship is not about a relationship with God. It actually is a back-and-forth relationship, a conversation A lover's exchange with the living God. Does that phrase not just blow your mind? That's the final aspect of play that helps us understand what worship is supposed to be. In play, we give ourselves to another. If you are here to play, that means you are not a spectator. Worship is not something you watch. It is something that you do. Look at the six verbs in this psalm. They're verbs that grammarians call imperatives. That means they're verbs that tell you to do something. Here they are. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord. Come into his presence. Know that the Lord is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. Worship, even contemporary praise music, is not entertainment. You are not here as part of an audience. You're here as a player. You're here as one of the actors. You're here as a participant. What the poet of Psalm 100 wants to tell us is that each of us in worship are to be doing something, not just watching. Yes, this is play, but if so, you're supposed to bounce the ball back to God. And so we hear a phrase of music, or we hear a piece of scripture, or an idea in a sermon, or a thought in a prayer, and we bounce it back to God in wonder, and in praise, and in commitment. And that part of play is going to look different for each one of us in the room. For some, it is going to mean singing with full blast, with your whole voice. For some, though, it's going to mean just spending that hour talking to God in prayer. For some, it might mean just being in God's presence. For some, it's going to mean putting your hands in the air. And yes, you're welcome to do that at North Creek Presbyterian Church. For others, it might be resolving to change something in their life. But for everyone in worship, we give ourselves to another. And that other is the living God who is actually, really here in person to receive our worship in joy. So, worship, any kind of worship, is serious play. And if that's the case, worship means Abandoning yourself to the joy of another. Because in worship, you lose yourself. 
You find your true self and you give yourself. What an invitation for our Creator to give to us. Which is pretty much the conclusion that the writer of Psalm 100 comes to in his final verse. It says, For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever. Now, in a lovely bit of providence, this final phrase of today's psalm gives us a perfect segue to next week's psalm, Psalm 136. That's the psalm that is going to be the focus of our Stewardship Sunday. It's the psalm that you're going to um, talk about briefly at Fellowship Feast. You'll take a moment to discuss at some point during the evening. As I mentioned, in Psalm 136, this phrase, this phrase that happens to also end Psalm 100, his steadfast love endures forever, becomes a relentless refrain. It's repeated as the second half of every one of the 26 verses of Psalm 136. And you need to imagine someone rising before the people of God and naming another blessing of God and another blessing of God and another blessing that God has showered on His people and the people each time roaring in response for his steadfast love endures forever. So I hope that you'll join us next Sunday for the serious play of worship. Amen. <laughs>